0: Hey, Rockbridge, thanks so much for joining us, however you've joined us, whether you're in person in one of our six locations or watching us online. It's Mother's Day weekend, awesome time just to say thanks to all the moms that are here. I I don't mind telling you I'm a mama's boy, so I, I love this weekend every year when I get to tell my mom how much I love her and appreciate her, and we're just excited that we've been able to celebrate family dedication at all of our campuses and then talk today about some of God's promises for families, four families, as we navigate on through this series called Promise Keeper. Want to play just a little bit of, of Jeopardy, kind of give you an answer, and then we'll backfill it and find out what the question is, and then we'll unpack that together in God's Word. We're going to be a little bit in Deuteronomy today, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up, turn them on, but we'll just jump in uh, to Deuteronomy in just a second. But first, here's the answer. Doing well, going well. Doing well, going well. And the question is this, it's what does every mother want to say about her family? What does every mother want to say about her family? It's kind of, and and all of us would say that uh, (laughs) we would give our moms a ton of credit, right? When our family dynamic is going well. Uh, when, when members of our family are doing well, I mean, moms are big time responsible for that. They're stewards of that dynamic and, and they're a big part of that. And, and so that's kind of every mom's heart, every uh, in the room and watching us. Every mom's heart is that, right? That when, hey, how's everything going? They're going to say going well, doing well, based upon how the other members uh, of the family are doing. And what I, I discovered this in, in preparing this message that this phrase, uh, going well, doing well, uh, sometimes it shows up as prospering in a holistic sense. This phrase, going well, doing well, it shows up a lot. In scripture. It shows up a lot in God's Word, and it's always, when it shows up, it's always connected to family. And so he, what we're doing in this series is we're finding God's promises to His people, and so God is going to make some promises about how our families can go well and do well. Now, there's always there's conditions to God's promises that we live by faith in, these conditions, but what's, what's remarkable is whether you're a spiritual person, you know, you haven't been in church, you're in church, you, you, you call yourself a Christian, you don't call yourself a Christian, There's this universal desire in in our hearts that we want things inside our family to just go well. We want members of our family to do well. And then it just shows up in Scripture because God wired our hearts and put these desires in our hearts and gives us promises and to walk down the path of those promises so we can receive the blessing of having a family dynamic that we can describe as it's going well. We're doing well. So let's, let's, let's bump into the first one and the one we're going to focus on the most. It comes right out of Deuteronomy, uh, but way back in the early days of the formation of, of the nation of Israel. Here's what it says, that it may go well. That's, that's what we want, right? That was our kind of jeopardy answer. With you and your children. After you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. That there's this desire and God is going to show them how that it can go well with them and their children and their children's children all the days that God has for them. Uh, It shows up in Deuteronomy 5, 29. It says that it might go well with them and with their descendants. Some translations just take that word and put with their children and that it may go well, and you may have a long life in the land that you will possess. So it shows up again in Deuteronomy 12, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. Again, there's this dynamic inside our heart that the scriptures capture, that we just want it to go well with our families, with our kids, and and mom steward that, and pray for that, and work for that so much. And then it shows up even in the New Testament, when Paul is talking about kids, and their relationship to their parents, and he repeats, the sixth commandment to honor your father and mother he says that it may go then it may go well with you and, and so he's talking about kids and then he talks about fathers their responsibility in raising kids and so but this whole dynamic is so that it can just go well with our families and again like we said there's this universal deal that if things are going well with my family if things are going well in my house in my marriage If things are going well in my relationships with my kids, my grandkids, then things are pretty good. And God, because he loves us, because he created the family, God wants to show us how it can go well with our families for a long time. But as we've been talking about in this series There's conditions that we have to walk by in faith that if we do these things, then God will do what he can do, which is to allow it to go well for our families. So we're going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter four. We're going to see the totality of the thought of the promise and the condition. Here's what it says. Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So. What we're being told here is we've got to recognize God is large, sovereign, in charge. He's the highest, He's above everything, He's supreme. This is God in His ruling and reigning capacity. This is, in the New Testament, we say this is God as the king, this is God in His sovereignty. And God in His sovereignty has ordained that there is a way, there is an order, there is a way that things are supposed to work. There is a way that relationships are supposed to work. There's a dynamic that that we're supposed to adhere to when we're underneath the authority of God, that when we bring our lives, our marriages, our families, our finances, when we bring anything under the authority of this God, things will begin to go well for us from our souls outward, from, from the deepest parts of our being outward. And so God is speaking to this dynamic. And here's what he's going to say. And again, we're getting to family, but here's what he says. So keep his statutes and commands, which I am giving you today. Moses is writing this so that you and your children after you, there it is again, may prosper or may, may go well for you. And so that you may live long in the land, the Lord, your God is giving you for all time. And this is part of a larger train of thought that God is speaking in Deuteronomy chapter four, where he's he's concerned about something happening. He's concerned that his people will fail to recognize his proper place and his proper authority, and that his people will fail to live underneath the benevolent reign and the benevolent rule and, and the loving domain that he has created and he is giving to them. And that when that happens, things will not go well and things will not prosper and this concern is captured in verse 9 where he says only be on your guard and diligently watch yourself don't get careless don't get carefree don't drift don't wander don't forget don't get complacent because see we have to choose where we walk according to these conditions in order to receive the blessings and the benefits because listen 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 right we've already said it everybody here today everybody watching online everybody everybody wants it to go well for our families when you get married at the altar nobody's nobody's standing up there thinking man I hope this goes south nobody's thinking that right We're all praying, wanting, hoping, desiring. I want it to go well for my kids. It's the heart of every mom, right? I want it to go well for my husband, my wife, my family, and my grandkids and my greats and my great-greats, right? I mean, it's just universal desire. And then we have to say, well, why doesn't it always go well for our families? Why does it go south? Why do marriages go south? Why do homes go south? Why, why, why does it become such a battleground? It, could it be because we don't watch? Could it be because we're not on guard, we're not diligent? So that why? You don't forget the things your eyes have seen and that you don't slip and that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. That there's this tendency in you and I to move ourselves out from underneath the authority of God. There's this tendency to move ourselves out from underneath the good provision and the benevolence of God. But here's the deal. If you're not underneath God's authority, you will be underneath some other authority. That is not as good. And that cannot make the promise that it'll go well for you and your children after you so we've been hammering this 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 promise that it may go well with you that it may go well with you that hey we're doing well that promise right what's the condition well it's simply this when we are right with God in the fullest sense of that word when we are right with God then things are right in our families when the home is ordered correctly, when we are not forgetful of God, negligent of our relationship with God, when we keep in mind everything God has done from the cross to the resurrection, to his promises of the second coming, when things are right with God, things will be right in our families. It will go well with you and your children. So, so it, begs, it begs the question, then, okay, what do we mean by, by like when things are right with God? What do we mean with that? Because a lot of us, I mean, most of us here today, most of us listening today would say, hey, Matt, we're a Christian family. I mean, we've got our beliefs, we've got our traditions, we've got our values, we pray before every meal, we're in church today, we're watching church today. So most of us would say, and when we think about our family, we, we would show something or, or offer something like this, right? Here You got mom and dad, maybe brother, sister, you know, if you're a cat family or your dog family or both or neither, but you get the idea. Most of us would say, here's our family and hey, Jesus is a part of this I mean we've got our beliefs and we understand and we go to church and we pray and and and, and we we understand that you know we, we we read some scripture maybe and so most of us would say hey Jesus is a part of Jesus is a member of our family so is this what you mean but th- that things will be right in my family because Jesus is part of my family does this illustrate what you mean Matt and here's the question though that we got to ask okay Jesus can be a part, but who's in the center or what's in the center? Remember that first verse 39 where God is over all, right? There's none like him. So if if Jesus is a member, who's in the center? And, 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 you know, honestly, sometimes we could say, well, I try to be. Or, 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 you know, we could say, well, we kind of all revolve around this or that or him or her, or it varies. But he- here's where we have to draw the distinction to move into the path of this promise. There is a difference between Jesus as a member of my family and Jesus as the center of the family, a vast difference. And what the, the author Moses in Deuteronomy and the words of God, what he's trying to, conti- to instill and warn and protect and promote and promise is say, hey, look, 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 look. You have to understand. It's not enough to believe in God. All the Israelites that were receiving Deuteronomy chapter four, they all believed in God. It, they all went to and did some of the festivals and did religious things. They did spiritual things. But there is a vast difference between Jesus as a part of my family and Jesus as the center of my family. And so if we're gonna walk in the path of this promise, we've gotta figure, how do we move Jesus to the center of the family, where he belongs? In in, in fact, let's look for just a minute at where Jesus fits in the scope of the plans of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Colossians says it probably best. It says, for everything was created by him, by Christ Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So with this word dominion, the family is one of the dominions or the domains that God has created. So Jesus has created that, right? And it's been created through him and for him. So the family exists for Christ. Colossians goes on, it says, He, Jesus, is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. So that he might come to have first place in everything. So the only place that Jesus rightfully belongs and the only way the family can be set up to receive the promise of God that it may go well with you is for Christ to have his rightful place. That, that Christ would be not be just part of the family, not be on the peripheral, not be occasional, but Christ would be central central and first in the entire dynamic of that domain of the family. Now, here's the challenge, and we've already seen the warning in Deuteronomy 4.9. Without diligence, without diligence, the drift in our hearts, which will show up in our homes, but the drift in our hearts and our homes will be toward Jesus as a member versus Jesus at the center. That if we're not vigilant, if we're not understanding the dynamic that can go on in me and in you and in your home and in my home, that we our families will look like this instead of Christ here. He'll get pushed to the side. He'll be pushed away, and someone or something else will go right here. You know, it's like this. It's like this. Sometimes we'll say, "Oh, you know, we're a cat family. We're a dog family. You know, we're we're a lake family. We're a beach family." We're a football family. We're a game night family. Oh, yeah, we're a Christian family. And and that word Christian means just the same thing as, hey, we're a sports family. We're a game night family. You know, we're a dog family. We're a cat family. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about Christ being central to the family. So here's what I want to do, and I, we're just going to be kind of just real practical. I just want to share five things, five things that I, that, were weak, that we can practice, five things we can do, five things we can understand that will keep or put or strengthen Christ in the center of the family. All right, the first one is this. Christ-centered does not mean perfect. There is a ton of satanic guilt and shame Around the family. And, and it's exasperated by social media because you can go look on other, your friends' social media posts and you see like a nanosecond snapshot of their family and it looks so perfect and it looks like everybody's so happy. And then you look at your family and you're like, whoa, you know, my family doesn't look like that family. They look really, really happy. My family's not really, really happy. And so what happens? Well, my family must not be perfect. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with my family, right? But remember, you're, when, what you see on Instagram and what you see on Facebook Is their like highlight reel, okay? Don't compare your reality to their highlight reel. And so the comparison and there's there stigmas that are unfortunate. Some, some people are here today and you come from a broken family. You come from a divorced family. And so you're hearing me talking already. Satan's got you. And you're like, golly bum, I, I don't think I can ever have that promise. I don't think things can ever go well. Listen, 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 listen. There are no perfect families. There's no perfect traditional family. There's no perfect blended family. There, there's no perfect family. If there were a perfect family, you wouldn't need Christ. Every family needs grace. That means every family needs something it does not deserve. Who gives us what we don't deserve? Christ, when Christ is at the center. So we need to just understand, Satan, the enemy, society, social media, loves to put a spirit of shame and guilt and condemnation around the family and a, and a failure in the past or a oops in the present. And listen, if we're gonna put Christ in the center, then let's also put this promise and truth of God in the center with Christ. There is now. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing about adopting this Christ-centered model, this Christ-centered understanding of the home, of the family, of the dynamic, it does not matter if you're single, if you, or if you're single again, if you're a widow, if you're a family and you're struggling and you're, you know, you're, you're contemplating some things that maybe you wish you weren't contemplating, you wish things were different, you wish things were better, if you're traditional, it does not matter the moment you and I take any kind of step to put Christ in the center, there is going to be grace from God, power from God, hope from God that the best is yet to come for your family dynamic, however your family dynamic exists right now. But right now, let there be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number two, number two, We must seize the opportunities that we have to put Christ in the center. There are going to be a million opportunities to push Christ to the side. There will be opportunities to get distracted from and forgetful of who Christ is and that his domain, one of his domains is the family and he's supposed to have first place in that. So we have to be intentional about these opportunities. Left to ourselves, without intentionality, you will not drift toward putting Christ at the center of your home, of your marriage, of whatever family dynamic you have. You will not. Said that already and if you and if the if you drift away from Christ your home drifts away from Christ this promise that we all want that it may go well with us and our kids and our homes right that promise that we all want will not be fulfilled so we have to seize every opportunity we have to put him at the center let me give you about five of those opportunities number one everyday conversations everyday conversations we do not have to always, you know, have a conversation, you know, or, you know or, hey, let's break out the Bible and let's do this. We can just talk. And in those moments, in those car ride moments, in those before bedtime moments, we can have everyday conversations where we talk about Christ. We talk about what he's teaching us, showing us how he's working. We talk about our day. We pray for each other And what we're going to face. So just make Christ part of your everyday conversation. Because listen, listen, listen. If you can talk about football with your family. And you can talk about politics with your family. And you can talk about what shrubs you want to plant. And what kind of car you want to buy next. And what kind of vacation you want to take. You can talk about Christ. If you have that relationship with him. So everyday conversations are an opportunity to keep Christ central in your family. Second, important decisions. Important decisions. When a family or a member of a family has an important decision to make, it is an awesome opportunity to pray together and to ask God, we want your will to be done, not ours. It's great, young families with, with younger kids maybe, hey, when you're, fa- when you're making a decision, let your kids see. They don't need to see everything about the decision based on their maturity and their age and all that kind of stuff, but they are never too young to see that you are putting Christ at the center of that decision. Our commitment to the church is an opportunity because we just read it, Colossians 1. He is the head of the church. Does our commitment to the church reflect Jesus' position over the church? If we looked at our time and how we spend our time, if we looked at our heart-level commitment to the only institution Jesus created while he was on earth, which was the church, would we say that Christ is central. So that's just an easy, obvious opportunity. Another one, and this is where it gets a little more challenging, right? In the interruptions. Probably no other set of relationships interrupt our personal, individual lives more than our families. And and, and oftentimes these interruptions become opportunities for frustration and agitation, and irritation. And then they become moments which become movements of anger or bitterness or contempt or cynicism. But if you look at Jesus and his life when he walked on earth and you, you know just read some, any of the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Jesus never saw or took an interruption as a frustration or agitation or irritation. Jesus took an interruption As a moment for ministry, a moment to serve, a moment to help, a moment to listen, a moment to bless, a moment to give. See, you know what I'm good at? I can take an interruption, which should be a moment for me to minister to, serve, love my wife or my kids. I can take an interruption and take it from a moment of ministry to a moment of frustration, or a moment of anger, or a moment of irritation. But that's an opportunity to be Christ-like and for Christ to be the center. There's one final opportunity and it's what I'm gonna call the most decisive moment. The most decisive moment that's going to happen in every marriage, in every parent-child relationship, in every family dynamic. And it it's so decisive and, and, and it's really critical because when you hit this decisive moment, your family dynamic can go one of two ways. And Jesus can, can go from being on the edge to being in the center or from the center to being on the edge to being out of the circle completely. And you know what the most decisive moment is when it shows up in your family? Is this when your family reveals your heart. And there's nothing like being in close proximity, close relationship with people when sin shows up. Because let me just tell you something. I don't know every family that's represented here today, listening, watching here today. But listen, I know this. Families, we know how to hurt each other the most, don't we? We know what words to use, what tone of voice to use, what looks to give. We know what buttons to push. And in every member of the family, you are both sinned against in your home and you are a sinner in your home because there's no perfect family. Every family needs Jesus in the center because every family needs a savior on the throne, a gracious, good, awesome savior on the throne. And and so some of the families undoubtedly today, you're you're at a decisive moment because sin has showed up. It's present tense, it's not past, or it's past tense, but it's affecting you like it's present tense because there's still hurt or pain or lack of repentance or lack of forgiveness or both. So there's a decisive moment that every marriage, every family it hits like, listen, Matt Evans, I I was single to my mid twenties. I've been walking with Jesus since I was eight years old before I got married. And then, but once again, before I got kids, I thought I was like pretty good. I, I didn't think I was that big of a sinner. And then suddenly I become uh, a husband and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that good stuff could come out of me. Where's that coming from? And, and, then, and then you work on that and God works on that with you. And then you become a dad. Like, Whoa, I did not know I could do such things. I didn't know I could get so mad. I didn't know I could, you know, go from, you know, preaching a sermon and talking about Jesus to acting like Satan all within about a 30 minute span. Yeah, let's keep it real, right? But God's one of God's designs for the family, because God's interested in transforming us, sanctifying us to be more like his son Jesus Christ, that's his will for us, one of his designs for the family is that it will reveal our hearts. And when your heart gets revealed, either because you sin when sinned against or you are a sinner who sins against other people and your heart is showing your, what your, your, your scars, your warts, your, your tendencies, your temptations are manifesting as sin. And what do we do when we have sin present? You can hide it. You can defend it. You can say, that's just the way I am. Or you can take it to the one who should be at the center and though it's the one who hung on a cross to help you crucify that sin, kill that sin, and help you also to forgive other people who sin against you just as Christ forgave you. So that's a huge decisive moment in every family. Because, right, when we're sinned against, we want to move Jesus out of the center And put what happened to us, what they did to us in the center, right? When we sin against other people, we're just putting ourselves in the center. So we got to keep Christ in the center because that's where victory over sin comes from. And that's where the grace and mercy to let go of bitterness, contempt, and unforgiveness come from keeping Christ at the center. Number three, we have to realize it's a fight. It's a fight. That's why we're told, we saw it in Deuteronomy, be vigilant, be diligent to keep your heart. Don't forget, don't let it slip from your mind. Don't let Christ get made to be peripheral when he's meant to be central. But let me encourage you in this fight with a couple of things. Fight way more in prayer than in person. Fight way more in prayer than in person. Praying for your soul, praying for yourself that you show Christ and keep Christ central in your individual heart and then pray more for your family. Here's what I know, and and I'm not great at this, but here's what I know. When I fight more with and for my family and with and against my own sinfulness in prayer, I fight less with the people in my family and sin shows up less. Or when it does show up, we deal with it quickly and biblically and graciously. And letting it fester and turn into something more sinister. And as we fight and realize it's a fight, we're praying that we grow in grace. We grow in grace. Listen, hey, family members, listen, everybody's a member of a family here, okay? As family members, we are first responders to each other in the home, to each other in the family dynamic. We're first responders, And we need to be first responders who show up on the scene with mercy and grace. Because you know what? Jesus Jesus is a first responder, right? I mean, God sent him, God the Father sent him from heaven to earth, right? And he showed up in grace. He didn't show up to condemn. We already said it. There's no condemnation in Christ. He showed up with grace and mercy for sinners like you and me. When Christ is at the center of the home, the family is the most gracious, merciful, accepting place. Grace should be the tone of the home. Grace. We seek to grow in grace because grace helps us fight. Grace helps us fight. Here's the deal. Parents, some of you know this, right? Can we can't, let me speak to moms and dads, right? We can't change our kids with law and rules, right? We can protect them with law and rules, but we can't change hearts. No, you know, God gave the law. It's Deuteronomy one of the books of the law. But it took Christ coming and the spirit of Christ coming to change my heart and to change hearts. The law can guide and control to an extent. It can never, can never, and it can protect. It can't change. What, cha- what changes us is an encounter of the love and grace and mercy of Christ applied to us by the Spirit. So, what really changes and affects and blesses and shapes the family is when we show up like Christ did as first responders of and givers of grace and mercy and goodness. Fourth thing we've got to keep love a verb. There's a cultural narrative that love is like a condition. I fell in love. I fell out of love like I fell in a puddle, like I got out of a puddle, right? Love is a verb. Love is a do. Love is a be, right? Love is something we give. Love is a, love is a decision, not a condition, right? And, and so what we see in the life of Jesus Christ is Jesus, was, uh, Jesus loved, Jesus demonstrated, Jesus gave. Jesus is the epitome of love. And when he's at the center of the family and he's at the center of our hearts, then we're all committed to keeping love a verb, not an emotion and not in a feeling. And, and, and this means in particular, right, that we will work to close the gap between intentions and actions. See, I think every family, every marriage, every parent has intentions that are good, Maybe that are even Christian or biblical or godly. But if love is not a verb, they'll never become actions. And intentions are just that. And they never make a difference, right? But actions do. So, 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 so even right here, if you think something good and positive in your home, say it. If you want something to be different in your home, be it. If you think of something special to do, plan it and then go do it. Keep love a verb. And then finally, here's the last thought, okay? You can seek to be first, that it's all about you, your deal, your wants, your expectations, or you can go first. You can go first in sacrifice. You can go first in saying, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. You can go first in generosity. You can go first in blessing. You can go first in giving and showing honor to those in your home. But you can seek to be first or go first. And here's, the, here's why this is so central, okay? When Jesus showed up on earth, he didn't seek to be first, even though he is first. He, he washed feet. He died on a cross, the the way a criminal dies, even though he did nothing wrong. Why did he do all those things? Because he was going first to show us what true love really is. He was going first to show us how to put others ahead of ourselves. He was going first to show us the radical, incredible, sacrificial gracious generous love of God so if Christ is centered in your heart and in your home nobody's going to try to be first we're going to go first in giving in blessing in serving and in helping now last thing we've been talking about Christ right being at the center and you know what, for all this talk about our earthly families, our biological families, our, our families maybe we've been adopted in or come in through adoption or foster care or a blended family, all that is so important. All that's under the, the, the grace and the, and, the, and the sovereignty of God. But God wants all of us to be part of his forever family. And the way we're a part of his forever family is by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, and is our Lord and leader. These words, but to all who received him as Savior and Lord, he gave the right to become children of God, part of God's forever and ever family. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them, trust him to save them from their sins, from their debt incurred against a holy, awesome, gracious, good God. All those who believe this are reborn, reborn, new heart, new desires, and new family. Not a physical rebirth like, like, our, like, like we got in our original families resulting from human passion or a plan. You know, you're here because your parents' passion and or your parents' plan. That's not like so with God, but, from the, but God wants you to be reborn from his will. That no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, God wants you to be a part of his family. So for some of us today, you need to make an intentional decision. What does it look like for Christ to become the center of your family? Some of you today, you need to invite Christ to become the center of your very life and sit on the throne of your heart. But for all of us, let's move Christ to the only place he belongs, at the center of everything, first place in everything. Let's pray together. God, on this incredibly special weekend, when we honor our moms, I pray that we honor you by seeing you for who you really are, over all, creator of all, Lord of all, center of all, first in everything. So God, if Christ is not the center of someone's heart, but they hear the Holy Spirit wooing, and inviting them to become your son, your daughter, your child, they want to be born again. I pray right now, in Jesus' name, that they would just say yes to you and say, "Hey, King Jesus, best I know how, I will receive you into my life. I trust what you've done for me, and I give you the steering wheel of my life. God for every family in this room, every family listening online. I pray right now that there would be a commitment to make Christ not just a member, but central to the home, that it may go well with us and our children and our children's children. Thank you for this gracious promise, God. In your name, the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.